Why did some doubt before Jesus returned to the Father? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hear of the Story presented by the Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of the Hero's Story, a podcast to help you explore the big story and big truths of Scripture. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and with me, as always, is Brian Dimbozik. Brian, today we are talking about the one of the big changing moments in uh, in the ongoing story of Scripture. We are talking about the very end of Jesus' time on Earth, physically with his disciples. So. 50, 40, 50 some odd days after his resurrection, right a few days before the Pentecost, we're we're there. Yeah, it's it's um, that time frame. It's fifty days between um, the Passover and Pentecost that we know. Pentecost means fifty, so we know that happened then. But again, as we're talking about pinpointing when this has happened, this happens, of course, just before Pentecost, and then. You know, it's just a little, we got a 50-ish days or so, but yeah, you're right. This is the very end of, of Jesus' earthly ministry. Huge transition about to happen with the start of the church. There, so this is, this is in many ways, this is kind of an anticipatory passage, um, despite the fact that we typically read it as, you know, very much a concluding moment. Um, and you're going to see why I say that, because we're actually going to be looking at it from two different passages today. We're going to be looking at it from... Uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. So this, of course, is the giving of the Great Commission prior to the Ascension, but then also looking at the Ascension from Acts 1, 4 to 11. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read these two passages, and then we're going to talk about some, talk about some big, big ideas and big questions that come out of that. So, so starting with Matthew 28. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age." And then Acts 1, 4 through 11. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel at this time? And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing, uh, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, Men of Galilee, why do, you, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. I, I, I love that part where the two angels come and speak to them. You just envision the 11 are just staring up slack-jawed into, into the sky and they're... <laughs> 
what are you guys looking at? It's over. <laughs> Move on. Yeah. It's like, guys, come on. You got work to do. <laughs> exactly. It's just kind of one of those details I always kind of chuckled at when I read in scripture. All right. So what, uh, looking at these passages, there's a lot of big stuff here. And some of them, interestingly, answer some of the questions from the other when when we look at them. What are What are some questions we should be asking? Well, I think... The first one is, let's go back to what we led off the episode with. Why why were some of the disciples doubting? You see at the beginning of Matthew 28, uh, verse 17 specifically. There are a couple of thoughts on that. The first is some people would think that there may have been others there. It wasn't just the 11. And so maybe the 11 were okay, but others, some of the fringe disciples, for lack of a word, they were the ones who Matthew's referring to doubting. While there may have been some others there, the problem is the construction of the grammar, the language, seems to focus on the 11, though. It seems like they are the ones who were doubting. But if, if you read some commentators, um, you will see a little bit of discussion about this, and some are, are open to maybe the doubt was elsewhere. Let's just kind of focus on the 11th. Let's, let's suppose that there was some doubt in them, which, of course, could have been and I think is likely. Well, the other thing is we have to understand what the word doubt means there. And in, in the Greek, it actually could be translated as hesitation. So it could be that they were hesitating. They were uh, struggling to process what was going on. And, and again, we've talked about this so many times that we read with hindsight. So we read with boldness and confidence that they lacked because they were experiencing it in the moment. They didn't know what was going to happen next. So they're still coming to terms with this. And it could be something as practical as this. Jesus had been crucified just a short time before this. Do they want to be seen in public worshiping Jesus? And so there could have been that hesitation from that. Is this a good idea? Uh, is this kind of dangerous? Um, or again, just processing. I can't, is this, I can't believe what's going on. So I think it, it's not unreasonable to believe that the 11 themselves may have been doubting in some way, shape, or form. And I think it's important because it reminds us that worship and doubt can coexist. Can. Should they coexist may be a different discussion. In theory, our faith increasing should push doubt down. It's an inverse function. So ideally, we would be men and women, believers of complete faith and no doubt. But that's ideal. We know that that's not the reality. I think all of us doubt on some level at some time for different reasons. And so this, to me, is a reminder that while they did worship, maybe there was that element of doubt. It wasn't 100%, you know, faith, but it was enough faith. And that doubt was there. And we can experience the same things as well at times. Yeah, definitely. And and I think that there's also an element, too, here that... Um... You know, I mentioned, I mentioned, you know, sometimes these passages kind of answer each other a little bit. Uh, they're like when we're thinking about that doubting aspect, there's the potential that that verses six and seven of Acts one might give us a clue into into that doubt as well. Because remember, they're asking, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of, to Israel at this time? And so they still didn't fully understand what the Messiah was intended to do. Um, yeah. what that looked like. They were still thinking in these geopolitical, earthly terms. And so there's the entire possibility that their doubt or their hesitation had to do with, well, but the kingdom isn't back yet. 
Yeah. And, and to, to be clear, their, their struggle there would not have been the same as, as the, the mass. Uh, the masses of people who rejected Jesus saw him entirely as a political so to be fair, they, they, the 11 understood more than that. They recognized he, yes. he was the son of God. He is the son of God. But they still didn't understand, is there a political now kind of portion to it? Yeah. All right. So another question that we should be asking is, why did Jesus preface the Great Commission with a statement of his authority? And so we see that in Matthew 28, 18. He says, all authority has been given to me, you know, in, in heaven and on earth. All of it <laughs> is mine. And so um, in one sense, really, this is a reminder for the 11 and whomever else was present that uh, that they were are required to be obedient. This was a call to obey. Um, so because Jesus has all the authority and you can't not obey the one who has the authority. Uh, but, or should not, <laughs> you can try, but you can try. It just isn't going to go well. for Exactly. You. So, <laughs> so, uh, so there's that, there's maybe that one sense, but in another, it's to encourage them in their mission, uh, that he was about to give them. So remembering that, re- remember, he's saying all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. And so it's like, if, all and so he's talked to them about what this looks like, what it means to what it means for someone to follow Jesus, and the, all throughout the past, however, however long, um, and all like in both the recorded and unrecorded conversations that they had together. Because um, remember, Scripture doesn't record everything; just what we need. Um, but he does this thing. But he 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 says this, he prefaces with his authority, he tells them what to do, and then he bookends it by saying um, that that he will be with them. And so this is really a call to confidence um, in the task that's ahead, because Jesus has the authority, he... Um, He's given them what to them what to do, and because he's going to be with them through it, they can be confident that they will actually be able to fulfill this mission. Yeah, I like that. You you probably didn't. Well, I, you weren't part of the church back in the King James days. Um, I grew up. No. Well, I grew up when the King James was pretty much used because it was pretty much all we had. I think the NIV was kind of new on the scene, but um, that. Matt, the Great Commission ends with Jesus in the King James Version of saying, and lo, I'm with you. So the old preacher joke was always to lower his voice, I mean, the lo, I'm with you. And, uh, but it's a great reminder of the mission we've been given is overwhelming at times. It feels overwhelming, but it's not up to us. It's, it's Christ. He will be the one. And so it's great words of comfort. Um, I think another key question here is, what is at the core of the Great Commission itself? And this, this is a really important question. Um, and at the core, in verses 19 and 20 of the Great Commission, our mandate, our calling is to make disciple-making disciples. And I think it's important that we understand that depth of it. Now, you could choose different way to phrase it, of course, but we're not just making disciples one generation. We're after making a generation of disciples who, in turn, make further generations. So there's got to be this disciple making disciples at stake. It's interesting because that's really at the core of the, the command. Uh, two, two verbs per se. It's One is to go, 
or sometimes it's, it can be translated as you're going. So as we're living life, but then it's make disciples. That's the primary verb. There are a couple of participles after that, uh, teach, baptizing and teaching. So they are undergirding what it means to make disciples. They're helping define. It's not separate things. We don't make disciples and then separately baptize them and then separately teach them. Baptizing and teaching is part of what it means to make a disciple. So what are we after in the Great Commission? We're after making disciples um, who are in turn, again, disciples, making disciples themselves. Again, it's right there. If we're making disciples who are obeying everything that Christ commanded, that includes the Great Commission itself that we just looked at. So I have to, my role is to help make a disciple of somebody who looks at the Great Commission and says, yeah, I need to live this out and go make disciples as well. So that is really the barometer of our success, for lack of a better word, in this mission. So if a church, as a church, we can consider, are we making disciples, making disciples? Are we, are we having, are we seeing generations of fruitfulness? Parents, um, you know, I'm, I'm a father of three kids. Aaron, you're a father as well. Really, the, the barometer of how well I do raising them in the Lord is going to be my grandkids to see, are my children discipling their children? I pray for that. If I see that happening, then I can look at this and say, okay, God, thank you. In your kindness, you used me to raise up disciple-making kids, not just stop there. It keeps going. So think about personal discipleship, whatever context we're in, that's what our view should be to fulfill the Great Commission. Yeah. The next question that we should be asking is, why did Jesus command his disciples to wait in Jerusalem? And so this one's actually pretty, this one is, you know, relatively easy because uh, because it's, it's there. He says, the spirit will be with you in a few days. And, and really his waiting is to, is to remind them of this, like, guys, you have a mission. You're not doing it on your own. Um, this is part of how his presence is going to be with them through the end of the age is because the spirit is going to come and the spirit is the one who gives them power to fulfill the mission. So they need to know that the spirit is not an add on, is not a bonus, is not, um, is not anything like that. <laughs> extra credit. Um, he, yeah, is not extra credit. It's not, it's nothing like that. The Holy spirit is absolutely essential to their lives as disciples and their lives as disciple making disciples. So they can't do, they can't fulfill this mission without the spirit's help. I think one other question we see here that I, that I see from acts one eight specifically is, is why did Jesus direct the church's expansion in the way that he did? So again, we see it starting in Jerusalem, then going to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. We've talked about this on some other episodes of the podcast, but just again, real briefly, because that's, that's what happens. I mean, it makes total sense. They were in Jerusalem. So it makes sense that Jesus were to say, hey, start here where you are and then expand the next concentric circle out from that would have been Judea and then Samaria and the ends of the earth. But also we know, and that's what you, you read, you keep reading Acts and, and some would say that's the book outline. You follow it that way. Um, but also it makes sense because you're moving from Jerusalem, which is the center of Judaism. Uh, that's the center of faith in that day. And such a great opportunity to go to the, the Jews who were religious and faithful to say, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we believe to this point. Trust in him. 
Um, and then you move to Judea, which is the next ring out. It's still Jews. And then Samaria, which is half Jew, half Gentile. Uh, and then you move to the ends of the earth, fully Gentile. So you're, there's a progression in, in terms of ethnicity and religion as well that makes a lot of sense. Um, so again, it, it makes total sense. It would go that way. Jesus himself had told the disciples, you start with the Jews first because that's who he had come for first, not only first, and then you go out from there. And, and as we've talked about as well, that is what we see happening. And we have to recognize in humility, we are the ends of the earth because of the faithfulness of those who've come before us. The gospel has reached us here. We are recording this from North America. It came to us here in North America because of the faithfulness, the ends of the earth. And so in humility, when we go on mission, we have to recognize we are not the Jerusalem, the epicenter of faith. We're not the epicenter of the birth of the church, Christianity. We are the ends of the earth, and uh, we're just continuing that expansion of the gospel. Wait, even in Nashville, the the center of Christian music and publishing? Well, yeah, well, yeah. Even Nashville. <laughs> even Nashville. There we go. All right. Well, um, the you know that's that is that is a helpful thing, and it, it is a challenge for us to reset our thinking in that because we're so used to we're just so naturally self centered. Yeah. That we always think of, we always think about passages like this in terms of, and you and you do hear this. We've talked about this again. Just bringing it up one more time. You hear the application of where's your Jerusalem, where's your Judea, where's your Samaria, where's your end of the earth, and it's like, well, there's only one end of the earth. <laughs> <Yeah>. But, um, <laughs> and 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 that's fine. I mean, there's you know we've talked about it before. Yeah. It's it's not wrong to do that. I would say, and no. I would say, but be sure that you've explained it before. Because the problem is, I think, let's be practical. I think most Christians in America would see Palestine as the ends of the earth. And it's like, no, that's where it started. <laughs> so if you're going to go on a mission to Palestine, you're going back to where it started. Now, it deviated, of course, because you have a lot of other... But, I mean, that... So that humility demands that we recognize this, that it's we are not the epicenter of God's plan. Yep, but... Uh... That's not easy for us because no. we like to be at the center of everything, we do. don't we? Um, you know, but that's why what, what Jesus came to one of the things that Jesus came to break us of. So, all yes. right, so let's think about this. Uh, let's keep talking about this. Let's think about this uh, from a discipleship perspective. So, what kind of guidance can we offer our listeners as they are working through this pastor with someone else? Yeah, we we've kind of hit on on I think what the main takeaways are, but let's just kind of summarize them again as as we wrap up. Mm -hmm. Um, the first one I think is, is again, let's go back to that idea of doubting, um, that I think we need to encourage those we're discipling to find encouragement as well in the doubt of the disciples. Again, it's, is it ever good that somebody doubts? Of course not. We, we want absolute faith. Um, so I don't want to celebrate doubt as if, oh, this is great. But I think we need to recognize and say, okay, um, it's okay to struggle. It's okay to grow. Our faith is a process. And, and it's, it's not accidental that, that Jesus calls on us elsewhere to have the faith of a mustard seed, a very small faith, because that small faith can be powerful. And it's Jesus recognizing that doubt can exist. Faith and doubt can coexist. Again, as faith grows, doubt should diminish. Um, but it's okay to doubt. Now, let me, let me clarify this. We don't want that person to feel like it's okay to remain in doubt, 
you know, we, we want them to fight to put doubt to death, so to speak. The other thing is we want to be careful about what we mean by doubting. To doubt is not to doubt God's character, for example. It's, it's like Eve and Adam in, in Eden. They doubted God in a, in a sinful way. God had said, I'm true, I'm good. And they said, wait a minute, I don't know if that's true. We, we don't want to allow for that kind of doubt. But the doubt is, I don't understand how things are happening. I don't understand what's going on. I, I'm not quite sure how what I'm experiencing is, is good and God's going to be glorified. Um, I'm struggling. I'm doubting to see this. Those doubts, that, those doubts of, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why this is happening. Coupled with, well, as we see in the Psalms so often, but God, I know you are good. I know I can trust in you, even if I can't see it in this time of doubt. That's what we want to give the people we're discipling elbow room to experience. What we don't want them thinking is, my doubts mean I'm a subpar Christian or God's angry at me because I don't have total faith and I don't, I'm not able to look at this terrible situation with a smile and say, yep, God's going to be glorified. You know, and I'm not super Christian. What we want to do is, is allow them to be to have grace with themselves as God has even more grace with them as they grow. Another thing that we need to be, um, that, that we need to encourage those that we're discipling to see is, is that, um, that they themselves are on this same mission to disciple others too. So we're, you know, you said it really well when you were talking about you as a dad, that it's like, you know, really the goal is not simply for you to, uh, disciple your own kids, but for them to disciple their kids and for their kids to disciple their kids and on and on and on. Um, and so that should be, that's true of us as well as when we are investing in people that um, are at different stages in the faith, whether we're like, whether we're small group leaders, whether we're serving in kids ministry or student ministry or um, leading Sunday school classes or just one-on-one relationships or whatever um, that no matter who they are, no matter their 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 longevity in the faith, all of us are to make disciples as as we grow. And so, what this means is is that it's it, it requires a a mental shift for us. Is that we have to remember that there's no such thing as the professional Christian or the expert Christian. Um, we're all we're all locked arms together walking along walking along this path we might have a step in front of us uh, a step ahead of someone else but that just means that we get to help lead someone along a way to catch up yeah to where we are and there's someone who's a couple of paces ahead of us too and so it's that's really what it's all about is it's it's imparting and investing what God has done in us into someone else so that they can invest in so that they can grow as well and then invest in others. Yeah. I think the the other thing that we need to remember is as helpful as we disciple others is our effort must rest on the spirit's power and Christ's authority. As we looked at the great commission, Jesus as you talked about his authority and so forth, um, his presence with us as we see in acts the need to wait on the holy spirit. It, this should just be a great comfort for us because we know discipling somebody is hard. Um, it's difficult. 
if we don't feel ill-equipped, then um, we probably need to spend more time <laughs> in prayer talking with God because I think we need a little bit of humility because, I mean, I don't care how long you've been doing this. I don't care how long you've been walking with Christ, how many people you've discipled, how many groups you've taught, the list goes on and on. There should always be this sense of, of weightiness of what we're doing. Um, I, am, I am helping somebody dive into God's word to see the creator God in the universe. That's a weighty calling, a serious calling. And none of us have it all figured out. So there should be some part of us that like, I don't know. I, I, I feel ill-equipped for this. There's, um, and so this is a great comfort that, that the spirit is the one who is doing this work in us and the person we're discipling and through us. Um, you know, for relying on the spirit to give us patience. How many times have we been discipling somebody or teaching and it's like, are, they should get this by now. What? And it could be frustrating at times. I have to talk about this again. Or when we see that person trip and, and, and stumble and, and sin or something, and they come to us again and say, yeah, I did it again. I blew it. And it's so easy to lapse in our flesh and get frustrated with them. Um, and so we need the spirit to, to, calm our hearts and temper our responses at times to give us the wisdom of what to teach, uh, what we do when that person comes and asks a question that's really challenging, dealing with something that's really challenging. So there's so many ways here that we need to remember that the Holy Spirit is doing this work in us and through us. And we're doing this with Christ's authority behind us, in front of us, with his presence. So a great comfort uh, for us to remember humility, but comfort at the same time. Yeah, man, that is a a good note for us to end on. So uh, let's call it an episode there. And uh, thanks for chatting about these passages. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.